Welcome to this week's podcast from Oceans Church in Orange County. We hope you're encouraged by this week's message. For more information, please visit our website at theoceanschurch.com. Let's begin reading together. It says in verse 1, reading about the wise men today. I'm going to smash a couple of bad theological uh, frameworks here. Some of you might have to adjust your nativity scene. Is that all right? Kidding. Uh, But seriously, though, it says this. Verse 1, chapter 2, now after Jesus was born, someone say after. So funny to me that we read the Bible so much that sometimes we stop paying attention to it. First thing I want you to know was, is the wise men didn't come, they weren't there when Jesus was born in the manger. They came when Jesus was after he was born, I'll show you, it says after, it doesn't say during the birth. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men, people think that there's three, there's probably more like 14 that actually came, from the east, came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who is to be born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come, why'd they come? To, why'd they come? If you want to know why they call them wise men, it's because of their agenda, Worship makes us wise. I'll keep reading. It says, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all of Jerusalem with him. All of what? It's interesting that Jewish people were troubled, but non-Jewish people were excited. And there's prophetic scriptures about this in the Bible. I want to sh- I'll keep reading here. It says, they were troubled with all of Jerusalem with them, and when they had gathered all the chief priests and scribes, the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So he said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the, uh, by the prophet, be, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are you not the least among the rulers of Judah? For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, who had secretly called the wise men, so he got rid of all of the priests, scribes, and leaders secretly said, hey guys, uh, when did the star appear? And he, he said, uh, uh, he called them secretly, determined what time the star appeared, and he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go guys, go check out carefully where this young child, not baby, are you still with me? He says over and over, this young child, and when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. When they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them until they came and stood over the young, where the young, young child, where the what? Not baby, where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. They rejoiced. Someone say rejoice. I had this funny thing I posted a while back. It said R-E, and then I had a picture of Joyce Myers. It said Rejoice. I was going to show it this morning, but I wasn't prepared enough. Rejoice. And it says this, and when they had come into the house, when they came into the, when they came into the, notice it wasn't the nativity scene. They came into a house, not a barn. They came into the house, what happens? They saw the, not the baby. Sorry, I'm kicking some cows this morning. Sacred cows. And they were, it says this, they saw the young child with Mary And they fell down, and they worshipped him. And when they had opened up their treasuries, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Which, that's a pretty common Christmas gift even today. (laughs) Kidding. Is it okay to have a good time this morning? Again, if you don't like to have fun, you're in the wrong church. 
We believe that God is good. Is it okay to smile this morning? Do you know it takes uh, less, mile, less muscles to smile than it does to frown? I think God wants us to smile more than he wants us to frown. So this morning, we're going to have a good time. You ready to go? I want to talk to you this morning about accessing peace. Accessing peace. Lord, I just thank you for the next several moments that you would be with us. I pray whether we're a first-time visitor or whether we come faithfully every week, I just pray you bless everyone in the room. I pray whether we're far or whether we're close that you would meet us where we are today. God, we love you so much. We invite your presence to have its way, and we ask that you would continue to bless the Lakers with the blessing of God. That makes rich and adds no sorrow. Get them to the playoffs in Jesus' name. Come on, someone said amen. Felt some faith. Leave the room. Leave the room. Very few things in life trouble me. Uh, you know, I don't know about you, but there's certain things in life that trouble me. I, I don't like, I, 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 honestly, I have to love someone to go to the hospital because I'm not a big hospital guy. Um, I, I don't like, you know, particularly, I'm not into hanging out at cemeteries for no reason. It's not a, not a hangout spot for me. But I'll be real, probably the one place I dislike the most that I have to go to the most frequently is the public restroom. Can we all agree that airport restrooms are a special place? I don't like public restrooms. I'll be honest, man. Everything about the public restroom just kind of freaks me out. I don't like the gaps in the stalls. I'm not sure who engineered public restrooms. I'm not an engineer, but I could walk into a public restroom and I could teach a couple of structural engineers a thing or two about what they did wrong in public restrooms. Number one, let's not make doors and walls with three-inch gaps. You're wasting money, people. Secondly, uh, I don't know who's the guy that's responsible for the sensitivity of sensors for toilets. I got a problem with that guy, too. I don't know who adjusts the sensitivity for those sensors, but someone needs to tell those guys he's a little bit ambitious. Because by the time I walk into the stall, close the door, and get ready to go, the toilet's flushed four times. And by the way, not only do I have a problem with the sensor guy, I have a problem with the guy that determines the water pressure for the flush. Are we trying to get rid of waste, or are we trying to swallow a VW bus? Because there is a force with public toilets that isn't right. Can I get an Amen. I don't like it. I I get a shower. It's like, I don't want a shower from that water. I got a problem with public restrooms. I I don't like the idea that sinks don't have faucets. They have sensors that don't work up there. Ambitious sensors in the toilet, dead sensors on the sinks. What's wrong with you? I got an issue with this. It's like, was there really uh, that many irresponsible people back with faucets that actually turned on and turned off? That someone had to say, you know what, we're losing money. People are turning faucets off and running out laughing. <laughs> that we got to put censored water and censored soap. But I'll be honest, one of my biggest issues is paper towel dispensers. Because the last thing I want to do after I wash my hands with soap is touch something dirty. You ever seen those paper towel dispensers that make you, you're supposed to pull it, and the next paper towel is supposed to cooperate, follow his friend. But have you noticed that, like, they don't like each other? And as soon as one guy goes, he's like, I ain't going out there. (laughs) So you find yourself in this predicament that, what what do you have to do? There's that little notch. You know the dirty notch? 
It's a dirty notch. It's always wet. Because everybody before you had to push the notch down to get the paper towel to come out. That's why I prefer sensor paper towels. Who likes that? That work, preferably. Now, sensor paper towels, if you're not familiar, I'm going somewhere this morning. Stay with me. I'm like, who is this guy? Forgive me. I'm just, just getting some time. Aaron's, is it okay to have a confessional this morning? These are things that trouble me. And so the paper towel dispenser, I, I prefer the paper towel dispenser that has the batteries that are charged so that when you wave your hand in front of it, what's inside of it comes out of it. You don't have to touch anything. Can I get an amen? All the germaphobes said, yeah. I'm telling you that there's nothing better than a paper towel dispenser that when you actually move towards it, it releases something to you. There's nothing more frustrating than when you move towards the sensor and the sensor's just sleeping. Sensor's not awake. Sensor has narcolepsy. I'm convinced that many people, they, they, they don't realize that, that we serve a God that actually responds to our movements. I fundamentally believe many people go, well, I just, at this holiday season, I've experienced some stress, and it's stressful, I've got to buy gifts for everybody, and everyone, I've got to go to the mall, and, and with everybody else in Orange County, and I've I, I got I to gotta spend money I don't have, and I've got to buy stuff for people I don't like, and I've got to, <laughs> sorry, so, so mean, uh, I gotta, I, and, then, and then we have tragedies, and we have all these other things that are going on in the midst of the holiday season. I'll just be honest. It's easy at times to get so overwhelmed that we think that we just have to make it through the season. And I want you to know that God didn't go to the cross so that you can leave the bathroom with wet hands. I believe that God has a paper towel for the wet issues of our life. And I believe the, the way that we access the presence of God, the, the peace of God, is kind of like as simple as going to a paper towel dispenser and, number one, believing that there's something in that thing that I need. If I could preach a little bit this morning. I believe many people don't experience the presence of God because they don't think that God has anything to, to offer. I want you to know that all of us are human. All of us are touched by pain, by sorrow, by sickness at times, and trials and things that bother us, disturb us, relational breakdowns, mental discouragement. I believe everyone in this room is susceptible to, to darkness. But I got good news for you. There's something inside of God that we all need. God knew that if our greatest need was money, he wouldn't have sent Jesus as a savior. He would have sent him as an economist. If our greatest need was technology, he would have sent Jesus the scientist. If our greatest need was entertainment, he would have sent Jesus the entertainer. If he said that, man, our greatest need was to get famous, he would have sent Jesus the Kardashian. But because God knew that humanity's greatest need was saving, he sent Jesus Savior. So I'm telling you this morning, the first thing, if you're like, man, my life is kind of wet, it's kind of dirty, I'm feel like I'm just, I, I don't want to touch anybody or touch anything right now because my life is just not right. I got good news for you today that you not only access paper towels by faith, you can access the presence of God by faith. Matthew 2 says there's wise men. I'm not going to get into all the intricacies of this, but actually we learned that they're from, uh, they're from a far land. The, the, the actual Greek word is magi, which means that they were astrologers and they, were, they studied science and space. And these guys were probably some of the most educated, wealthy people. They probably lived in Orange County. And Laguna Beach, come on somebody. And these guys, they not only uh, were they not Jewish, 
they were actually, it comes from the same Greek word where we get magic or magicians. These guys probably were into the dark arts. They were probably related. They believe, scholars believe that Balaam in the Old Testament was probably the father of all the magi. And that these guys probably studied the supernatural, just like there's witch doctors and just like there's, uh, there's, there's psychics and people that study uh, power and supernatural power. I want you to know we can't judge these guys too strictly because back in Bible days, if you wanted power and you weren't Jewish, you'd have to go that direction. But these guys didn't know the power of God. They didn't know the power of Jesus. And I love it because it goes on to say that these, these magi, they see the star, and when they see the star, they, they see the signs, and all throughout the Persian history, they, they, they've heard stories about God doing great things, all the way back to Balaam, all the way back to Esther. Remember, Esther almost was destroyed by the Persian Empire, and not only that, that era, there was throughout history, Daniel and Babylon, Babylonians were, were Persians, and, and all throughout history in Jewish literature, they look back and they go, man, there's been seasons of time that we've tried to annihilate the Jewish people, but God with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Balaam, who is the godfather of the dark arts, tried to curse the people of God, but every time he opened up his mouth, all he could do was bless. So there's this long track record with, uh, with, these, with these Persians that they had a respect for Israel and for the God of Israel. So they see this star, and we can get into the star. I, I, think, I think it's interesting. Maybe the stars were actually angels. Because in Luke chapter 2, it says that the stars, uh, there's a bright light in the sky, and all of a sudden there's an angel, and then there's a bunch of angels. And in Revelations, it says, that it talks about stars being angels. In, in the Old Testament, it says when the devil fell, that a third of the stars fell with him. So I wonder why the star moved. I don't know if you've ever seen a star at night, but usually if you drive towards them, you don't get any closer. This particular instance, as they drove closer to the star... And again, they weren't riding camels. They were riding probably the nicest horses on the earth, Persian horses. They traveled, they say, somewhere between 900 uh, to 1,000 miles on horses. Would have likely taken them 9 to probably 16 months. That's why Herod said, when we kill the kids, we need them to kill 2 years old and younger. Because the journey it took to leave his presence to find the child would have taken 9 to like 18 months. Are you tracking with me? And so we find here that these guys traveled this distance, and they traveled 800 miles, nine months, because I believe the first thing we have to do if you want to access the peace that comes from God is the first point I have for you this morning is this. If you want to access the peace of God in your life, the first thing we have to do is we have to have expectancy. Expectancy. I believe some of you, you're like, I've never heard the voice of God. I've never felt the presence of God. I've never been to a church that I've been excited about going to. And I'll be honest, all the, all the things in your life that you have in common when it pertains to your faith that's kind of sleeping is this one point, is you've never expected anything great from God. I've never expected God to speak to me. I've never really expected God to answer my prayers. I never really expected that when I read my Bible that God would speak to me. Never expected when I have a prayer list that a year later I look back and see answers to prayers. Never expected that God cared about my job or my, or my marriage. Never expected that God could actually protect my kids. Some people don't think that, that God can protect people. I, I think it's evidence in, in Matthew chapter 2. Because if Herod was smart enough, he would have sent a spy to follow the wise men. So as soon as the wise men found Jesus, he would have executed him. 
Why is it that he didn't have that idea in that moment? Can I answer your question for you? Because he didn't think about it. Why didn't he think about it? That's a pretty common thing to think about. Could it be that God didn't let him think those thoughts because God was protecting the life of Jesus even before anyone knew it? We serve a God that can protect our lives. If you believe it, say amen. But I want you to know this morning, there's something powerful about Christianity when it's not just a set of rules and regulations, but it's a relationship with God that I expect something. I expect God to be who he is. I expect God to make my life more like his life. I expect God, I expect God to show me how good the Holy Spirit is. I just think many people, they get exactly what they expect. Well, I went to a church, man, that, that, that there was no, no excitement, no enthusiasm. The only thing I did every week was sleep. And I want you to know that we don't go to church to catch up on rest. We go to church to have an encounter with God. And at Ocean's Church, you're like, I've never seen a church this young, never seen a church this vibrant. I've never seen people that are excited about showing up on Sundays. And I want you to know it's because maybe you didn't show up expecting anything, but our leadership core did. Come on, a leader said amen up in here. We came here at 9.30. Some people showed up at 7.30 this morning setting up. 9.30, we were in here praying, getting this room ready to go. Because we know as leaders, we owe people that show up to our churches an encounter with God. Great leaders take on the responsibility to say, you know what? If no one else is going to pray to God for an encounter, we are. No one else has faith in this room, we do. Some of you are like, Mark, you're talking, man. You're kind of talking bold this morning. I made an agreement with God before you showed up that if you didn't bring any faith, that I was going to bring extra for you. And some people show up to church, they're like, man, how come I feel better? I didn't have any faith. It's because God, watch, there's a story in the Bible that they, they busted a hole in a, in a building, and the Bible says God saw the faith of the people that made the hole, not the person that needed to be healed. Do you know that God can honor someone else's faith to help you? Our church is committed to praying for people that don't know how to pray. Our church is committed to people that don't know how to help themselves in the presence of God. So we're going to be a church, if you're, if you're writing notes this morning, Ocean's Church, culturally, we believe in, in creating an atmosphere of expectancy. I believe one of the greatest motivators in life is hunger. Hunger. And I'll be real, I think the reason why most people miss out on the good things of God is because they're just, they're too satisfied. I want you to know, if you could live your whole life and be happy without God, you need to rediscover the power of God's hunger. Because I'll be honest, man, life doesn't really get exciting until God is a big part of your life. I'm hungry. You ever fasted before? My gosh. I didn't know much I like food until I started fasting. I started fast. Before I fasted spiritually, I had to fast for medical reasons. I always hated the doctor when he said, all right, now... Now, 24 hours before you come into the office, don't eat anything. I'm like, get behind me, Satan. I'm going to eat. But you have to run blood tests and stuff. So I, I, I had to fast. And I'll be honest, when you start fasting, I start looking in the, I'm, I walk outside, I see a T-bone steak in the clouds. I'm like, that's a, a soft-served frozen yogurt. I see some cookies and cream. I see food everywhere. And if you haven't eaten in a while, you know what else happens? Is your sensitivity to smells. I was a janitor for five years while I was going through Bible college and involved in our church. In Idaho, they said, if you want to be in ministry uh, and you're a guy, you're going to be a janitor before you do anything else. That was our, that was our pipeline. And uh, it was awesome. And so uh, I would take everyone's trash out, clean all the toilets. And so I did that for five years. All my friends were going on to be lawyers and doctors and 
playing in the NFL and like, Mark, what are you doing? I'm like, let's not talk about it. <sighs> Take out people's trash. And I would clean all the ladies' trash. And the finance ladies, they ate well. And I can tell you this because every day when I took out their trash, they had like, like you know, some sort of good like meal, like tacos or something in their trash can. And you know what's funny? If you get hungry enough, even trash starts to look appetizing. Three, four days into a fast, it's like, that's eatable. It's not that messed up. You know what's funny, though, is I think, I think, in, I think in America, we fill the voids of our life so much with stuff that we lose the hunger that God wants us to have for him. I believe, listen to me, you can have stuff, but God doesn't want stuff to have you. And I think many people are, are they're trying to make a living and they're trying to make all these, they're trying to accumulate as much stuff as they can. I don't want to just accumulate stuff. I want to, I want to accumulate experiences with God. If you're going to be rich with anything, be rich with relationship with God. I think many people are materially rich, but they're spiritually bankrupt. And I believe that this church is going to be a catalyst for stirring hunger in this region. We're going to be hungry for God to move. We're going to be hungry, expectant for God to speak. Are you hearing me today? Can I get an amen? So the first thing I want to tell you is these wise men, you don't travel 900 miles unless you have expectation. I'm not just on a ride for the sake of going on a ride. I'm actually on this Persian horse getting bumped around for nine months because at some point of this journey, I believe I'm going to access the presence of peace because I expect to. I think it's funny to me that we, Jesus can get out of the grave, but we're like, I don't know if I can make it to 1030 service. Per, these guys traveled for nine months and we're like, I don't know, man, it's raining out. 75, but it's raining. I believe that expectation is what, what changes the atmosphere. Matt, Mark chapter 6 says that Jesus could not do any mighty miracles because everyone there didn't have any faith for it. He said that everyone's like, that's, just, that, that's the carpenter's son. That's Joseph. You know the guy that built our deck? That's his son. You know the guy that you know, built our, our coffee table in the living room, Joseph? That's his son. He went to his hometown, and watch what Jesus says. He says, a, a, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown amongst his own relatives. Let's say it this way, ladies and gentlemen. Where there's no honor, there's no power. Where there's no expectation, there's no signs and wonders. You show me a room that's got expectation, I'll show you a room where God can do the impossible. The last three weeks we've had miracles. We've had people getting healed of cancer. We've had people getting healed of intestinal issues. We've had people with heart issues. Every week. Is it because the leaders have miracle powers? No, it's because this church creates an atmosphere. Expectancy. And I believe that this morning I want to stir you up to not just go through the motions of Christianity, but to believe God for something great every week. Come on, show up to church expecting. I love, I love the phrase for pregnant women. They always, they always say this, oh, when are you expecting? When are you expecting? It's the idea that something's growing inside of you, and at some point what's inside of you is going to come out. Because I'm expecting. While we're on topic, I believe that women have the greatest excuse ever given to humanity to eat as much as they want. Because they can say it this way, it's not me, it's the baby. I'm not eating for one. Guys, don't you wish you could break that out? Why are you eating so much, Steve? Well, I'm not eat eating for one, I'm eating for two. It doesn't flow the same way from men's mouth. But when you're pregnant, you can say the baddest line ever given to humanity to eat as much as you want. 
I'm not eating for one, I'm eating for... And you know what I believe? As Christians, we should come so expectant that we're not just showing up to church for ourselves. We're showing up for other people. I'm going to eat so much of God's presence. I'm going to get so full of God that when I go to my office this week, and when I go to my business this week, and when I go back to my family that doesn't know God, and I go to the holidays and I spend time with my in-laws or my outlaws, come on, I'm going to be so full of God that I'm going to have something to offer them. Expectancy. Number two, are you still with me this morning? Because I believe that we're not only going to be a church that expects, but we're going to be a church that expresses. Expresses. You know what I do with that paper towel dispenser? I look at it and I go, you know what? I know there's paper towels inside of you. They're there. And you know what I expect? I'm going to wave my hand in front of you. And when I make movement and act towards you, you're going you're gonna to reciprocate. Because I know there's something in you that I need. So I believe it, I expect it, but once you really have belief, James says that faith without action is dead. And a lot of people say, well, I worship God in my heart, and I, I, you know, I believe in God, but, but if you looked at my lifestyle, you, you might not know I'm a Christian, but like, I am. My youth pastor used to always say this, he goes, if none of your friends don't know that you're a Christian, you're probably not. Because the life of following Jesus has not only expectation, it has expression expression these wise men walk into the house what's it what's it say they do they fall down the greek word is violent it literally means that they fell down broken they fell down prostrate they literally collapsed when they came in and they saw jesus as a child they fell down on their face now i've seen some babies i've visited some nephews and nieces but i've never seen them like after a long period of time like oh my gosh and fall I didn't fall down in front of them. I'm telling you that, that these wise men teach us not only expectancy, they teach us, number two, the power of expression. And I'm going to step on some toes. Is that all right? I want you to know as a pastor, I would rather smack you with truth than kiss you with lies. And I told God a long time ago, I will never sell people when I don't smoke myself. Can I get an amen? So this is something I live out personally. I know the power of expressing worship and adoration to God. So here's what I want to tell you today is, is I'm talking about expression. How do you express, how do you express faith or how do you express adoration or honor to God? I want to give you a few points here today. You ready to take some notes? If you're taking notes, uh, write this down. If you're not taking notes, write this down. First thing I want to tell you today is that I believe that one of the ways we express, we express our adoration or our honor to God is we express it through clapping. Now, some of you are going to think that some of these points I'm going to share with you, those are charismatic traits. This must be a non-denominational church herb. But I want you to know this morning that I'm not sharing with you non-denominational charismania Pentecostal, Pentecostal, these are, not, these are not charismatic traits. These are biblical traits. And I want to give you an accurate definition this morning of why we clap our hands in the presence of God. The one of the reasons you know, the second reason I bet you don't know. Let me give you the second reason first. Is that all right? You know why people, why God tells us to clap our hands? It's because of derision. Derision. It literally says in, uh, it says this in Job, and it actually, Job 27, 23. Uh, actually, I'll, I'll flip there because I don't have it memorized just yet. 
pray for me. Job 27, it goes on to say this. It says, man shall clap their hands at him and shall hiss at him out of his place. And the context here is basically mocking your enemies. It goes on, it says in Nahum, in 3 verse 19, it talks about the same thing about how they clap their hands. Because in the ancient world, when they, when they actually uh, had victory over an opposing military, what would happen is, is when the, when the, when the military conquered their enemies, all of the captains of the military that won would stand outside of the city and all of the people that would become slaves or become servants of that opposing winning army would clap at all of the opposing, opposing enemies as they march out of the city that they conquered. And I want, you can kind of see where I'm going with this. But I believe that one of the reasons why we clap when we get into the presence of God is because we're not just celebrating the victory, we're making sure the enemy knows you're defeated, that you've lost, that 2,000 years ago you've lost your footing and you no longer have authority in my life, my marriage, my family, are you hearing me? That's why we clap. We clap to remind the devil that he's lost, that he's a detoothed, defanged dragon, and that 2,000 years ago, we're not fighting for victory, we're fighting from victory. And I believe that one of the reasons why we should clap as Christians is to remind people that there's power in reminding the enemy that he's lost. And not only would they clap for that reason, but they would clap secondly, as you would know, is that we clap because we're celebrating victory. We clap because we're celebrating victory. It goes on to say throughout scripture about clapping over and over and over again. It says that we rejoice, Psalms 98, 8. Let, let the rivers clap their hands and be joyful. Isaiah 55, 12 says, out with joy, the trees clap their hands. We are trees. Psalms chapter 1, he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. Why do you clap your hands? Is it because you're a charismatic church? No, it's because the Bible says that when we clap, there's power to announce to darkness that it's lost. And it's, it's announcing to Jesus that we honor the fact that he's won. That's why we clap in church. That's why we clap as believers. And not only do we express, how do you access peace? By clapping. How do you access peace? Not only by clapping. Number two, if you're taking notes, we access peace by, by uh, shouting. It's going to get quiet in the Presbyterian church just for a second. This is definitely a charismatic message. But I read the Bible, and I don't see this as charismatic. It says in Psalms 47.1, Clap your hands, all you people, and shout to God with a voice of triumph. Shouting is declaring victory before you have it. Galatians 4.27 tells the barren woman to shout. Why would Paul tell barren women to shout, rejoice those who weep? It's because there's something about lifting up your voice that announces what's going to happen before it happens. That's why at Jericho, what happened at Jericho? They marched around the city, seven right, men, they watched, marched around the city, and on the last day, they didn't just, they didn't just clap, they shouted. shouted. There's something about shouting. I don't know why. I can't even explain it to you, but there's something about raising your voice there's, there's something spiritual in it. I don't ever tried it before, but I dare you. You're like, I'm too conservative to shout or clap my hands. I've seen you at the Rams games. You are not that introverted. I believe that we have enthusiasm for everybody else except God. And we're not going to be like that Oceans Church. 
We're going to be like what David says. This is not a charismatic thing. This is a Christian thing. This is a biblical thing. We are shouters. We're clappers. We're victorious. We're reminding what the devil's lost. So we are. So we're going to shout with victory, and we're going to shout with triumph. Worship is the expression of our joy and the exercise of our faith. I'll say it again. Worship is the expression of our joy, and it's the exercise of our faith. I shout because I'm not only expressing joy, I'm exercising faith. So what do you do, Mark, when you don't feel like, should I, should I honor God with singing, shouting, and clapping? What if I don't feel like it? That's a great question. What if I don't feel like it? Hey, Mark, do you ever sing when you don't feel like singing? All the time. Do you ever read your Bible when you don't feel like reading your Bible? All the time. Let me ask you a question. Do you always pay your taxes when you don't feel like paying your taxes? Let me ask you another question. Do you always go to work when you don't feel like going to work? Do you always love your kids even when you don't want to love your kids? It's getting quiet up in here. Why is it that with God it's optional, but with everybody else it's mandatory? Simple thought. I believe that there's something profound about when I don't feel like doing something, I'm going to do it anyways. I worship by faith. Do you know that everything in the kingdom of God is by faith? Prove it to you. Everything we do. You became a believer because you confessed with your mouth what you believed in your heart. By you, uh, you got water baptized, you got in a tank of water, a swimming pool, a hot tub, and you said, I'm identifying with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It looks like I'm going into a water pool uh, or a, a hot tub, but actually, it's a spiritual act of dying to my old life and rising to a new life. By, I received the Holy Spirit, by, I tithe every week, not because I feel like giving 10% of my income, but because I'm honoring God, by, I give by faith, pray by faith, believe by faith. And guess what? When I get in the worship, I start singing to God, start praying to God. I do it by faith. And I'm just telling you right now, many times we're like, ah, I don't feel like it. Feelings should not dictate my actions. Principles will do that. Feelings will not dictate my actions. Principles will do that. The band can come up here. I'm almost finished. So I'm going, to be a, I'm going to be an expressive person and access God's peace by, by, by expressing my adoration. Are you still with me today? By clapping, by shouting, and how about this one? By singing. By singing. I'm going to sing. I'm singing. At Ocean's Church, and I'm singing. I'm at the church, and I'm singing. Why, why are you singing? Because I'm happy. Smile is my favorite. Why do you sing in church, preacher? I, I believe there's biblical reasons why we sing. Psalms 95.1 says, Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord a new song. It doesn't say, come, let us sing a hymn. I'm not against hymns. I like hymns. I'm kind of old school. Sometimes I prefer hymns more than new songs. But I want you to know that where we get in trouble in the church is when we sing a song so much that it becomes ritual and not life. That's why David said, sing to the Lord a new song. Some of you asked me before, you're like, hey, where can I get that song that we sang today in church? I'm like, you can't get it anywhere else except here. Because that song came in the moment. Because we've asked our musicians not just to check a list of songs to sing, but to begin to honor God from their own hearts. Some of what they sing is scripted, but a lot of what they sing just comes from a grateful heart. 
And I believe that some of you are like, Mark, I've never experienced God's peace when I'm in a tragic situation. And it's because you've never known the power of singing to God, honoring God. God, you're good. Lord, you're lovely. God, I know that everything in my life is trying to swallow and try to, trying to literally choke out my faith. But God, you're awesome. God, you're lovely. How awesome is your name in all the earth? There's no one like you, God. And if I could ask you to just, just take a moment. Just, I feel the presence of God coming in this room right now. And I want you to know that when God shows up, there's something so powerful about elevating your voice to God. Many people, they don't know the power of singing. You see, they think, you know what, I'm going to show up 15 or 20 minutes late to church so I can get the good part of the service. Do you know that the message is for you, but it's not the most important part of the service? Because music in the beginning when we sing is the only part of the service that belongs solely to God. You see, we teach us what God already knows, but we sing to God what we want to express to Him. And I believe if all you do is come to church and listen to podcasts and messages, but you never learn the power of opening up your heart and lifting up your hands and saying, God, you're awesome. What if you don't feel like it? It's faith. Faith says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to literally, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spit in the face of doubt and fear and all the reasons why I shouldn't be happy this morning. And I'm going to say, God, in the face of it, though he slay me, yet will I praise him. Job lost everything and said, God, you're still good. His wife said, deny God and die. He's like, I'm not going to die. I'm going to declare the goodness of God. David said, I would have lost hope unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of God in the land of the living. Faith says, I'm not going to die there. I'm going to die. I'm going to live here in the space of adoration. So I clap. So I shout. So I sing. And number four, I, I lift up my hands. Lift up my hands. People say that's a charismatic thing for sure. I want you to know that we are hand lifters. Not because we have stinky armpits that need to be aired out. Not because we're hyper spiritual. They must be more spiritual. They lift their hands. But because biblically it says throughout scripture, Psalms 63 verse 4. Thus I will bless you while I live and I will lift up my hands in the sanctuary I will bless you while I and I will lift up my hands in the in the church in the church it's a charismatic thing Mark no it's a Christian thing Jesus in Luke 24 verse 50 it says Jesus lifted up his hands and he blessed Jerusalem goes throughout scripture, blessing, blessing, blessing. It goes on to say, uh, it, it says in, um, it, throughout the Bible, uh, Psalms, Luke, Luke 30, or Psalms 134 verse 2, it says, lift up your hands and bless the Lord. Lift up your hands and bless the Lord in the sanctuary. I want you to know today that hands represent blessing. Abraham put his hands on his son and blessed him. Isaac put his hands on Jacob, blessed him. Israel put his hands on his 12 sons, and he, hands carry the power to bless. And I want you, well, do we raise our hands and surrender? No, I think surrender's not bad. But biblically, we don't raise our hands to surrender. Biblically, we raise our hands to honor and to bless God. We say, God, I know my life sucked this week, man, but you're still good. Can I just, can I, can I just share one thing with you? I, I love this idea 
I push through and I clap, sing, shout, and I raise my hands, you know, ultimately, when I don't feel like it, because even when I don't feel like it, he's still worthy. Even on the lowest moments of your life, do you know that he's still worthy of everything? And so I'm going to lift my hands. Some of you are scared to lift your hands because you just feel weird. Like, I've seen some of you. It's like volunteering to help someone move. It's like, who's going to help me? I've seen some of you guys. It usually starts this way in church. It's like, hey, let's worship God. Lift your hands with us. And it's like, it's like barely carrying a small TV. And then you get a little more confidence. It goes like a little bit big screen TV. Then it gets higher to like a baby cradle. And then it's funny because we get like enough, uh, uh, you know, we get kind of bold. We start lifting one hand up. But it's like the one hand by itself. It's like, teacher, I got a question. I've seen all forms, man. I've seen the spear, the javelin. I've seen power to the people. I've seen Rocky. I've seen it's good. And I love YMCA. Come on. I believe fundamentally there's something about raising your hands to God, closing your eyes, and singing to Him that will do something to your spirit that you can't access without expression. So you got, we make one of those expressional churches? Yeah, we are. We're not going to be distracting the people through our worship, but we are going to be expressive to God to our worship. And I want to encourage you right now, if you've always, what, about, what if the girl next to me thinks I'm weird? Or what if my wife acts, thinks I'm crazy? I want you to know that we're not singing to your wife, to your friends, or the cute guy or the cute girl on the side of the building. We close our eyes and we begin to put our eyes on Jesus. He's our audience. If you're going to clap this morning, give him a good hand clap. I'm finished up. Would you stand to your feet? Thanks for listening to our podcast. Have a great week.